Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Title 42 remains in place for at least a few more months. The debate brought unlikely allies together from the Supreme Court. The 5-4 ruling stopped the planned termination, which was supposed to end a week ago on December 21st. Title 42 is put into effect during the Trump administration to expel migrants citing the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, Fox is David Spunt there. And, you know, it's it's one of the ongoing issues we continue to experience on the right. That seemingly even when we win, we're still losing because Title 42 remaining in effect. I mean, is the border not in crisis, for example? So have we really accomplished much of anything here, even with that ruling? And it's something that I want to dive into. I've been blessed over the many years that I've guested for the great one, Mark Levin, to often have an opportunity as we get ready to transition into a new year to kind of take stock of where we are, what's happened and what's next. And one thing that I've always believed in, I'm a doer, which is weird because at this point, I'm 25 years in radio, which means I do a lot of talking. But independent of what I do behind a microphone, I am a worker. I'm a I'm a doer. And so I don't like talking and complaining. I like accomplishing things. So a lot of what we're going to be focusing on today is actually accomplishing something. Taking stock of where we are, this Title 42 situation is kind of a good place to start. And what we have learned, what we know, and what we need to do going forward. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, including a roadmap, much of which... Uh, we can enact from right here in my home state of Florida. I am Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. Always an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. I host the Morning Rush WJNO in West Palm Beach and the Brian Mudd Show. You can uh, check out the Brian Mudd Show podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Follow me at Brian Mudd Radio on social And the epicenter of the world, you know, it's often overstated, but it really does feel that way at times that it really is Florida and often specifically South Florida. Chance encounter. I've I've long said that I've lived my life on the periphery of people far more impressive than myself. Like, for example, the gentleman I'm guest hosting for this evening and also the gentleman who I was with for lunch today over at Trump National, which led to a chance encounter with. President Trump. And just on that note, doesn't really have a whole lot to do with what I'm going to be talking about in today's show. I will say this. We know that House Democrats are getting ready to release the Trump tax returns on Friday. Here's what I can tell you. The man was happy as a clam today. Trump coming off the golf course, sitting down for lunch for a while, was in a really good place. 
So I, I do not know what will be with those tax returns. I don't know what will be with any number of various different things that are looming out there involving our former president. But I do know the guy is in great spirits today. And hopefully that is a precursor of what's to come as we advance into the new year. A better one as we roll towards 2024 and taking this country back. I do want to start with this this Title 42 thing and, and kind of the, the teachable moment here with some of the news of the day. The What we can do now, what we need to do now. Now, I've often talked about it always starting in the classroom. And this gets into the even when we win, we're still losing. So yesterday's 5-4 Title 42 ruling by the Supreme Court leaving the Trump-era health policy in place, whereby, in the name of public health, those lacking status who have crossed our border are to be quickly sent whence they came. No doubt, a win for those on the right, in addition to the 20 states specifically that brought that legal challenge to the Biden administration's effort in repealing it. As an aside, independent of the merits of the case, as it was raised before the Supremes, if House Speaker Nancy Pelosi could continue to allow emergency proxy voting to occur in the House in the name of the virus, surely we can attempt to maintain a semblance of sovereignty along with our southern border in the name of it as well. But here's the thing, and it's a rather big one. Bigger than the gap in President Biden's memory. We're still losing. And you might even say bigly on that issue. As Senator Mike Lee tweeted out after the ruling, SCOTUS's temporary stay of Title 42 protections will forestall a surge of trafficking and drugs. Lives will be saved. Yet as Democrats recently rejected my effort to remedy this situation legislatively, it falls to POTUS to enforce the laws currently on the books. And that's the most instructive point here. Conservatives had a legal win simply to maintain the status quo border crisis that we've experienced for nearly two years. And as Senator Lee alluded to, his proposed legislation, which simply would have legislatively kept Title 42 in place, introduced into the omnibus debacle last week wasn't even something the Democrat-controlled Congress would consider. In other words, even when conservatives win, a la the SCOTUS ruling, we're still losing because of an inability to achieve even the most basic public policy measures of consequence. And what kind of a win is it when the win is simply to maintain the status quo crisis anyway? You know, in the case of the border crisis, consider this. In the most recent fiscal year, the one ended in September, because that's the way the government years run, there were about 2.8 million documented border crossings. Now, that's a total that's higher than the population of 15 states and greater than 1 million more than the previous annual record, which occurred all right, just last year. Year one of the Biden administration. So you, you think about the boiling frog effect. 
it doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of the stunning erosion of sovereignty in this country. And so the big win for conservatives this week is to simply maintain that debacle. Hence, even when we win, we're losing. And that, above all else, has to change. The border, Title 42, it's endemic of a much bigger problem, which has plagued our country for decades. Incrementalism, the moving of the goalposts. What we really need in this country is success to significance. You know, I've often spoken of how our society arrived in this place. You know, the place where Democrats, including a Supreme Court justice, no longer can define what a woman is. You know, we didn't just arrive here. It wasn't like one day leftists woke up and decided biology was just too darn confusing. You know, really, how do we figure out male from female? Is that they've been busy corrupting it for decades. The 1964 Supreme Court ruling striking down religion and public school classrooms. The 1980 Jimmy Carter and Congressional Democrat created Department of Education, seeing to it that the agendas of teachers unions, as opposed to the education interests of our kids would be served. Those two events were the preeminent catalyst behind how we got here. Control the classroom, control the educational agenda, and guess what? You control the minds of Americans for generations. It's all part of the long game successfully played by Democrats, which is straight out of Solinsky's rules for radicals. The breaking down of morality. And any semblance of right and wrong is how, for example, over 2.8 million people are allowed to pour over our border within a year. And now it's considered a win, a win that it's not even more. It's how, for example, the very group of people who just two years ago were claiming that anyone who dared question mask and COVID-19 vaccine efficacy were science deniers. Well, they're now literally denying science, never mind God, by suggesting one's biological sex and not really a thing. Not really a thing. And you know what really we should be doing? Minors, they should be taking surgical and chemical action to uh, correct it. Correct whatever that was, that weird thing that we can't define that happened at birth. I mean, it is nuts, right? But it's been mainstreaming. The incrementalism. So what's next? I mean, what the heck seriously is next? Well, that depends. Do we want success to significance? Do we want to truly begin to meaningfully bend back the absurdity in our society? Or do we want to feign outrage issue by issue as the absurdity grows while feeding it with our actions and our decisions. That's where I think we are. And that comes back to something else that I think is relevant today. And a lot of things that Reagan said that managed to stand the test of time. You think about our founding fathers and how much relevant today, every bit as relevant today as it was back then. 
you know, certainly the case with a lot of Reaganisms. A time for choosing. Time for choosing. You know, Ronald Reagan, he said this. So we've come to a time for choosing. Either we accept the responsibility for our own destiny or, you know, we abandon the American Revolution and confess that an intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. And that's kind of the bigger thing here. Political wins are fleeting if they're A, not made through legislative action, and B, aren't accepted by future generations of voters. Now, here's the good thing. Many in our society have grabbed on to the time for choosing concept. Throughout the many frustrations across the country from this year's midterm election cycle, there was a lot of good news. And a lot of it happened at local levels. A lot of it happened with races that were closest to home. A lot of it happened starting last year in Virginia specifically, based upon education specifically and school boards. So I want to pick up there and talk about success to significance that we have made. And a lot of what we need to be focusing on as we enter 2023, the elections that are closest to us, as most of us will have local elections of some sort coming up in the new year, the ones that we often pay the least amount of attention to. Now, as you take a look at DAs that have refused to actually enforce the law across the country, local governments and defunding the police and whatever, our schools, our schools. Think about the importance of all of them. That's all part of the long game that the left has long played. We might be starting to bend the curve at the most important place, closest to home. So we'll talk about a lot of the progress we made. I have that for you next. Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud love in. Folks, our friends at Hillsdale College wish you and yours a happy and blessed Christmas and a healthy and prosperous New Year. Since Hillsdale's founding in 1844, it's taught its students by precept and example the teachings and practices of the Christian faith. The college continues the mission in its classrooms and nationwide through its educational outreach efforts. So this Christmas season, my friends at Hillsdale want to thank you, dear listener, for your kindness toward the college. They prepared a special video featuring their sacred music choir singing O Little Town of Bethlehem in their beautiful Christ Chapel at the heart of the campus. When you visit hillsdale.edu slash Christmas, that's hillsdale.edu slash Christmas, you can see and hear the choir and view many other free resources to help you celebrate the season. I promise it'll be uplifting and inspiring for you and your family. That's hillsdale.edu slash Christmas. I am calling on President Biden to come to El Paso and look at our city and tell us what the solution moving forward is, because this right here is unsustainable. Um, I don't see this really going anywhere other than just more shelter, more shelter, more shelter. That's an El Paso 
city council member, unsustainable. What's unsustainable? There's no crisis. Hey, the Biden administration has said right along, the border's not open. What's not sustainable here? Yeah, Brian Mudd in for Mark Levin talking about incrementalism. The Title 42 decision by the Supreme Court yesterday to where even a win, quote unquote, for the right in, in that particular decision simply keeps a status quo crisis in place. And the long game that has long been played, going back to Saul Linsky, the rules for radicals days, and they've been executing that playbook to a T over generations. However, I do think amid the many frustrations of this past election cycle, there were some real encouraging signs. Yeah, a lot of them happened from my home state of Florida, where it was a record cycle for the right, all-time record cycle in the state of Florida for Republicans. But also across the country, going back to last year, school board races where an effort was made. So according to the 1776 pack, starting with those Virginia school board races last year, a hundred school boards across the country have flipped from essentially being controlled by teachers unions back to parents who are more concerned with, you might say, reading, writing, arithmetic than, say, gender fluidity discussions in elementary school. I mean, not that that isn't highly educational. We have a five-year-old, and you're asking them, are you sure you're really uh, a girl? You just you just told that you're one. Let's have this conversation. Maybe a struggle session over it. Then you go tell your parents, actually, don't do that. Let's just go get some, some uh, you know, surgery. How about that? Anyway, according to the 1776-pack, the success rate for flipping school boards over the past year plus, what do you think it was? When a concerted effort was made at the local level, school boards, what do you think happened? They said approximately 70%, 70% of the time, that grassroots efforts were made to flip local school boards, they were success. That's huge. That is success to significance. In my state of Florida, it's part of the success. Governor DeSantis endorsed 36 challenging school board candidates across the state. This cycle is, is part of that effort to flip local school boards. 30 of them, or 83% won. And this is a big deal, too, because you're talking about flipping. You're not just talking about open seats, what have you, but actually knocking out incumbents and in school boards across the state, across the country. We'll pick up there next. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. Folks, our friends at Hillsdale College wish you and yours a happy and blessed Christmas and a healthy and prosperous New Year. Since Hillsdale's founding in 1844, it's taught its students by precept and example the teachings and practices of the Christian faith. The college continues the mission in its classrooms and nationwide through its educational outreach efforts. So this Christmas season, my friends at Hillsdale want to thank you, dear listener, for your kindness toward the college. They prepared a special video featuring their sacred music choir singing O Little Town of Bethlehem in their beautiful Christ Chapel at the heart of the campus. 
When you visit hillsdale.edu slash Christmas, that's hillsdale.edu slash Christmas, you can see and hear the choir and view many other free resources to help you celebrate the season. I promise it'll be uplifting and inspiring for you and your family. That's hillsdale.edu slash Christmas. We saw a small group dash across the Rio Grande River. The water and air temperature is very cool right now. That group had men, women, and some very young children. I asked some of them where they were coming from. They said Cuba. That group was escorted into the country by the National Guard and then processed by Border Patrol and placed on a bus. Yeah, that one is from Fox's Matt Finn. And it might sound pretty odd to you. That uh, you got Cuba that is just south of Florida. I mean, stone's throw almost from the Florida Keys. And yet you have Cubans, allegedly, because, I mean, who the hell actually knows, right? We, as a government these days, just kind of take it face for, oh, you say you're from Cuba. Eh, you kind of look like that could be true. All right, come with us. So anyway, you might wonder why... Folks would go from Cuba. Plenty of of understandable reasons why you would have legitimate Cuban refugees. Of course, President Obama ended the longstanding wet foot, dry foot policy, meaning that if Cubans that were fleeing the Castro communist regime, if they made it to our soil or as uh, on our sand, as the, the case happens to be, then they could stay. So Obama ends that policy. And then if you want border enforcement, oh, you know, it doesn't happen at our southern border. But you know where it does happen? It happens in our waterways. Oh, yeah, the Florida Straits. I'll tell you what, the Biden administration, like a hawk, you got a boat of Cuban refugees, we're on it, chief. That is where there's a real crackdown. So, for example, you will have on the regular all kinds of resources out in the Florida Straits, which is advisable to help protect you know, our coastal areas, but most commonly doing it to send Cubans back these days. So that's the reason why, rather than making the trek to Florida, that so commonly have been the case, which compared to getting from Cuba to, say, Mexico to come up through the southern border, not near as easy. The reason why they're doing that is because Cubans know, hey, um, if we try to come across the Florida Straits to Florida, Biden will send us back. But if we can get across the southern border, well, shoot, anybody can come through there. Now, I mean, we can hypothesize why the Biden administration has a special thing for Cubans in particular. I mean, like, for example, the fact that once established here, they overwhelmingly are conservative overwhelmingly vote for Republicans because, I don't know, they know communism, socialism when they see it and hear it from a political party. So, But I'm sure that has nothing to do why, as to why there are selective enforcement against Cubans. But yes, you have seen a proliferation among those of over 100 countries around the world that have come across our southern border. Cubans heading to Mexico paying the smugglers to get across the the southern border like everybody else because that's that is where there is actual border enforcement brian mudd in for mark levin and we've been talking about up to this point title 42 to a certain extent and even when we win we're still losing 
Like, for example, the Supreme Court decision keeping it in place. It's a great thing. But all that does is keep the current crisis in place. We're not actually making progress there. But then I was talking about some success to significance. And the bigger issue long has been in our schools. Insert problem in society here. Where did it really originate from? And it would be our education establishment. It would be the minds of generations of students becoming adults, believing the nonsense fed to them by teachers' unions. Department of Education. We've seen nothing but a negative turn in education outcomes, mental health issues, everything else, since the Department of Ed went into place in 1980. But where we actually did see some of the brightest spots emerge from this election cycle, school boards, where we did have 100 school boards across the country that flipped. That's no easy thing. I mean, there's a lot more work to be done. But also encouraging, as I mentioned, approximately 70% of the time when real concerted efforts were made to flip local school boards, it was successful over the past year. And that's a really big deal. So it's a roadmap, and it's a sign that, hey, you know what? If we really do engage at the local level, if we really do put in the effort rather than just complaining, we can accomplish some things. And, and there is a path forward. There is a roadmap, something that I'm going to be expanding upon as we dive further into the show. But I do want to get uh, some calls, 877-381-3811. Let's go to uh, Jason who is listening on station I put on the air nearly 21 years ago, WTKS in Savannah. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, it's uh, Nathan, actually, and I had the pleasure of meeting Nathan. you and Bill when I picked up my Bush show for signs. It's your buddy, the pool man. Um, Great to hear so from you. Here's my contention. Yeah, I, I love you, Brian. I, I'm the one that dubbed you the boy genius. Do you remember me? I do remember you. Yeah, that stuck mainly you because so, of, of you so and young Bill. Looking. <laughs> yes, yes, sir. And I love you so much. I miss you. Um, let me tell you what I warned you about many years ago. I told you that I grew up in California and it's coming this way. And I watched the Pelosi and the Jerry Brown and all of them steal California, cheating elections. And this is all a predetermined outcome. Let's look at this, that Mitch McConnell basically funded the government until next September, next October. This is all predetermined. And I don't know the solution except for love and God and and believing in our country. Um, I, I just, I feel like there's nothing that we can do except pray to our Lord. And, and well, it's a good place to start. And Nathan, um, speaking of which, may God bless you. And, uh, you know, it's it's a pleasure. And, and Savannah always have a special place in my heart. My, my first talk radio station, uh, that that station in Savannah. And, and uh, you know, Nathan, your point, I, I didn't just look like uh, I was young back then. I really was <laughs> that young back then. Uh, good times for sure. But to your, your broader point here, it kind of speaks to what I'm talking about, which is getting engaged to the grassroots level. So often things feel like they're impossible. And since you're talking about you know some of the history in Savannah, and I, I spent some time uh, doing work for Atlanta as well before I came to South Florida in those days. And there was a congressman who, a good man, 
Good man, friend back in those days, Jack Kingston. He was in Republican leadership in the House. He's been out of politics, retired from politics a number of years ago now. But he, uh, when it came to South Florida, he said, we're going to miss you here, but they need you a heck of a lot more down there. And I kind of, once I settled in in South Florida, made it my my measuring stick to turn Palm Beach County around, turn Miami-Dade around. So I want to use this as an example. And look, I, I have no idea what, you know, my, my tangible impact may have been over these years that I've been here. What I do know is when I got here, Palm Beach County, third most populous county in the state of Florida, forever a Democrat stronghold, was a D plus 28 county, D plus 28. What I do know is that Miami-Dade, long a Democrat stronghold and the most populous county in the state, was around D plus 30. And here's what I can tell you coming out of this cycle. Miami-Dade went for not just Ron DeSantis by double digits, but for the entire cabinet in the state of Florida, double digits. Marco Rubio in the Senate, double digits. Palm Beach County ended up breaking for the entire state cabinet, the entire Republican state cabinet. First time in this county's history. And it didn't stop there. There are, there are other counties that ended up flipping in the state. But two of the three largest that have been long Democrat strongholds. And the point is, it can be done. And it's the long game. It's putting in the effort. It's the incrementalism. And so often, it's what the left has done. It's the Solinsky rules for radicals game that they've been playing. They've been doing it in our schools, utilizing the teachers union unions all these generations. We're just kind of getting around to playing it. But in my own little anecdote here in South Florida, I'll tell you it's possible. And when you have people that will engage, people that won't just accept the status quo, even if there are losses, and just continue to try to change hearts and minds and show people a better way, you can make progress. So I hear the frustration. I get that a lot. But again, back to the school board situation, 70% of the time that you actually had conservatives on the ground make a concerted effort to flip a school board in, in our country, it happened. That's huge. I mean, it is so hard. When you talk about local elections, the reelect re rate for incumbents is over 90%. So when you talk about putting in an effort, netting a positive result for conservatives, over 70% of the time, I mean, they, that is that is so profound in, in terms of its impact. We just have to stop complaining about things, spend more time with especially local elections, candidates. Candidate recruitment is a big one. We need good candidates in local races clear across the country. Maybe you, maybe others you know can be those people. It's all part of how you begin to do this, and it doesn't happen overnight. But I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic there there are signs that it can be done. Let's go to Rob in Cleveland. Rob, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you doing tonight? Very well. Thank you very much. I had a question. Yeah, I had a question. I mean, I a lot to unpack there. It seems like a lot of uh, negativity in the world and, and things that are not going 
the way that uh, the right seems. It just seems like the, the blame is to the left. But um, I wanted to find out what specific um, laws or, or policies did Biden put in place to cause inflation? I see that there's a lot of blame on Biden for inflation. Do you know sure. what particular policies? Yeah, I mean, we could start, uh, Rob, and appreciate the question. It started literally on day one. It's one of the most fascinating dynamics of the Biden administration. You think, okay, it's day one. I've taken the oath of office. I've gone through the ceremony and everything. Now I'm going to begin signing executive actions. So what is it that I'm going to do? Day one executive action, kill the Keystone XL pipeline. And by the end of the first week, he had signed subsequent executive actions to put an enormous amount of additional regulation on the energy sector and uh, to ban the harvesting of energy on new federal land and to uh, make it far more difficult even to continue to produce at a profitable level by many of the existing energy producers domestically. So literally inside of the first week, starting with the first day of his presidency, we went from being energy independent in the United States of America to being energy reliant on other countries. If you begin to take a look at the initial catalyst, and that was there are plenty of others, but the initial catalyst that began to kick off inflation started with energy price increases and obviously energy at the core of pretty much everything. And that was really what set things off uh, at the onset. And so not only was it Biden policy, but it was a Biden executive action that literally started on the first day. Uh, so, you know, and you can begin to watch the straight line of inflation head up from there. Now, I always love the you know excuses. Oh, you know, it was Trump. And somehow or another, you know, we, we magically went from inflation that was barely over one percent when joe biden took office to by the end of biden's second month in office inflation having doubled at that point basically tripled from where he inherited it in his third month but the next piece of biden policy that ended up becoming the massive catalyst to send us not just into higher inflation territory but eventually to 41 year high inflation was then creating artificial demand with artificial money so when you had all of the additional stimuli the american rescue act the the you know uh, money for for people act that ended up being passed by the democrat controlled congress and and pre- at president biden's request that happened in march Now you not only had energy prices that were dramatically on the rise, but you ended up having all kinds of artificial demand that was created because this money was thrown to Americans clear across the country for essentially nothing. And at the same time, because it was all debt spending, what did it do? It also simultaneously watered down the monetary supply. So the dollar in everybody's pocket was devalued at the same time. You end up having artificial demand at the same time that we have now become energy reliant on foreign countries. That is a one, two, three that takes you to 41 year high inflation. And it's one of the many great failings of President Biden. I appreciate the question. I I have a feeling you were looking to stump me on that one. Try harder, fail better next time. Brian Mudd in for the great one. Mud Lovin. Folks, our friends at Hillsdale College wish you and yours a happy and blessed Christmas and a healthy and prosperous New Year. Since Hillsdale's founding in 1844, it's taught its students by precept and example the teachings and practices of the Christian faith. The college continues the mission in its classrooms and nationwide through its educational outreach efforts. 
So this Christmas season, my friends at Hillsdale want to thank you, dear listener, for your kindness toward the college. They prepared a special video featuring their sacred music choir singing O Little Town of Bethlehem in their beautiful Christ Chapel at the heart of the campus. When you visit hillsdale.edu slash Christmas, that's hillsdale.edu slash Christmas, you can see and hear the choir and view many other free resources to help you celebrate the season. I promise it'll be uplifting and inspiring for you and your family. That's hillsdale.edu slash Christmas. Google is now apologizing over a definition that appeared early Tuesday when users searched the word Jew. Until about 1 p.m., the primary definition of Jew was defined as an offensive verb, specifically to, quote, bargain with someone in a miserly or petty way in reference to old stereotypes associating Jewish people with trading and money laundering, unquote. Yeah, that boxes Paul Stevens there. And here's your surprise look, right? But I mean, Google they they did say that it it was is an accident. It was a third party. It was you know, I mean, whatever. We don't really think that uh, you know a, a Jew is a pejorative. For example, I mean, seriously. In Twitter, there's no shadow banning either, right? And this kind of gets into Brian Mud in for Mark Levin tonight. My theme. This first hour, which is even when we win, we're still losing success to significance and there being a time for choosing. And and this happens to be a time for choosing part of the reason why, from a point of incrementalism, I was having this conversation with my dad over Christmas, I think like like literally on Christmas Day. (laughs) Yes, we are those people. Why is it that? All Republicans, when they take power, why they, they all they ever seem to be able to do is just kind of maintain the status quo. And then as soon as Democrats, as soon as leftists, as soon as Marxists take over, well, things continue to get even worse from a point of morality, our culture, insert whatever here. And so the, the answer comes down to us. There being a time for choosing. I pointed out that 70% of the time, that conservatives even tried to flip a school board across the country this cycle. They did it. Now we just need more of that. In the case of Google, how many people continue to search? Yes, we complain, but do we continue to engage in the same consumer habits? Do we continue to feed the beast? And then we turn around and we wonder, you know, why, why are things getting better? Well, a lot of it comes down to us. Pick up there. Next, Spry Mud in for the great one, Mark Levin. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
if we actually held people in place or if we re-implemented remain in Mexico, um, we would see illegal border crossings drop to, to 45 year lows. And when they drop, we're able yeah, Brendan Judd there. And, you know, that's the thing. I mean, if we can fix this right when we had remain in Mexico, everything changed, didn't it? And so once you don't remain in Mexico, what happens? Well, as we've seen, record numbers of illegal immigrants that continue to pour across our borders. I mentioned the first hour, two consecutive years of all time records, 2.8 million most recently, greater than the population of 15 states. I mean, it truly is is something remarkable. And and so then you have some on the right who say, yeah, you know, we, we got that SCOTUS Title 42 victory yesterday. What kind of victory is it? It's a victory to maintain the status quo crisis and simply not have it go to whatever the next level crisis is, right? We need to do better. We need to do better. We need success to significance. We need sustainable policy. And we also need to play the long game as conservatives, the way that the left has for generations now, going back to Solinsky's rules for radicals. And we see where the effort has been made. It's working. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. I'm the host of The Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach and The Brian Mudd Show. You may check out The Brian Mudd Show podcast wherever you get your podcast. Also on social at Brian Mudd Radio. So just to quickly hit on a, a couple of points that I was outlining in the first hour of the show. Because I like accomplishing things, I'm not interested in simply talking and, and hearing myself talk. I'm a doer. And I've been told that I can help do by virtue of what I do through a microphone, so be it. But I want to see real success. And as illustrated by the 1776 pack school boards, where all of this insert issue here that conservatives complain about, where we can really pin the origins down to why things have changed so systemically, it's because the left has played the long game with their schools. And the Department of Education, the creation of it in 1980, provided the perfect catalyst for the teachers' unions to take over education across the country, especially when conservatives weren't minding the store with school boards. So the ground zero effect, if you want to begin to change things, not all going to happen overnight, but it can and it will happen if you begin to have common sense reinstilled at the school board level. And as was illustrated over the past year, 70% of the time when real concerted efforts were made to flip local school boards, it happened. And the point is that on the most fundamental issue of all, education and the minds of future generations, you have a roadmap for having success to significance. And going forward, there's a heck of a lot more of that that needs to take place. You know, it turns out there's a lot of wisdom in Woody Allen saying that 80% of success is just showing up. For far too long, conservatives haven't. We haven't been playing that long game that the Marxists have. So as we head towards the new year, we need to focus on showing up. And I'm going to speak to this in, in terms of voting and in general elections. But it's also imperative that we do so in the coming local elections in our communities 
clear across the country as we enter 2023. Most of us have some local elections coming up over the next year. Many of us have them in a matter of a couple of months here. It's a time for choosing. And rather than simply complaining about what's happening in our society, it's time to show up and do something about it. Where people meaningfully have, like specific school districts across the country, Florida generally, there's been success to significance. Every election has consequences. We tend to disproportionately pay attention to what impacts us most. Federal elections gain the most attention, but it's often those closest to us geographically that have the biggest impact on our daily lives. So with that, I want to talk a little bit about the DeSantis model. Now, this has been something introduced over the past month plus. And while the vision that Trump has laid out since announcing his 2024 presidential run would be highly effectual right now, well, it's going to be a minimum of two years and three weeks before he would potentially have the opportunity to begin to enact it. There's another speech that was delivered recently by none other than Florida Governor Ron DeSantis that's immediately actionable. And it ties into what I've been talking about in today's show. While keynoting the annual Republican Governors Association meeting, he laid out a message and a roadmap that needs to be immediately acted upon across the country, my opinion. It's the Florida model, or perhaps you could call it the DeSantis model. So at the Republican Governors Association get-together, DeSantis was greeted as a rock star, replete with the standing O upon entering. Remember this, all Republican fellow governors from across the country. And you even had some that engaged in a political chant that I'd, at least I've never heard before. Maybe you have, but it was new to me. It was the chant of two more years. Two more years. Now, of course, with Governor DeSantis having just won another four-year term as Florida's governor, well, these chants are either kind of like ruthless, wishing him ill, or a preference for him running for president. Thus meaning that he would only remain the governor of Florida for two more years. Now, given the temperature of the room, I will go with the latter. And before getting down to the brass tacks of the DeSantis model, this development, given that Donald Trump had already made his 2024 presidential announcement, it's pretty notable unto itself. He had a room of Republican governors giving a standing O for DeSantis with an implication by some of them that he should run for president. And as he told the conference, people just need to chill out a little bit. Hey, just need to chill out a little bit, which, by the way, I do think is really good advice on all of this. So that was his message in response to the insistence that uh, by those that want him to and specific to that room that he entered the 2024 fray. And look, it is on point. He also had this to say. He said, the good thing about winning a big victory in Florida is that we have super majorities at legislature now, and we have an opportunity to keep gaining momentum. Now, whether it's a head fake as to his overall intentions or an indication that his sole focus going forward is to continue on policy in Florida, the job that he was elected to do, it's pretty evident that he's keeping his eye on the ball. But about the DeSantis model, and what he called the Florida blueprint, 
what we've now learned was a precursor to a soon-to-be-released book. The one that's going to be coming out on February 28th. Anyway, DeSantis laid out a roadmap to winning Hispanics, women, and independence, and the importance of taking it into other battleground states across the country. I mean, it is pretty remarkable when you think about Florida and how it went from being the ultimate swing state just a couple of cycles ago to being the greatest example of a big red state in the country now. That kind of thing doesn't just happen. This is the message and the roadmap that's actionable right now. DeSantis unapologetically focused on what he focused on the issues that mattered most to us. Parental rights and education. Huge parental rights and education. Individual rights over government intervention. Prioritizing the economy over things like the vid. Which, by the way, and I, I do think this is you know, worth repeating as DeSantis won the largest victory by a Republican gubernatorial candidate in Florida since 1868. Few more people in the state since then. Think about how badly. No matter where you are, USA, you heard about this at length. Think about how badly the parental rights and education legislation enacted in Florida was slandered as don't say gay. Right? It was called don't say gay. I mean, you have people that only know it by that. Never mind the fact that nowhere in the legislation did it even mention the word gay, let alone that it can't be said in the classrooms. An absolute farce. But he was also reported as being a tyrant for taking on Disney's wokeness and their political activism. Another national story. He was said to have taken away a woman's right to choose by signing legislation limiting abortions to 15 weeks. So, yeah, I mean, that's just some of it. But, I mean, that was all part of the big national stuff that happened this year where he was just hammered on relentlessly. But what did he do? He stood tall. He ignored the noise. Delivered on the agenda thoughtfully. And guess what? Voters responded. Again, a state where he won four years ago by less than a half of 1%. The guy won by over 19 points this time. And earlier this year, it was all about how he was a bigot, a homophobe, a tyrant, you name it, right? When he delivered on the issues, when he delivered on the agenda that really mattered to his constituency in a swing state, look what happened. Record numbers of independents breaking his direction for Republicans generally. Even many Democrats that broke. And one of my favorite stories from the cycle, my street historically has been one where there are some very verbose leftists. Comes to election time, they will gleefully have up all their, their Democrat signs and, and whomever the, the hardest left is, you'll often see those signs. People that ended up having uh, Andrew Gillum signs, for example, in, in their yard when he was challenging DeSantis in four to four years ago. Notice heading into the cycle that nobody had their signs up. No signs for Democrats. And actually, one of the hardest left neighbors that I've had 
made a point to me not long after the election cycle saying, I'm glad we still have our governor. That's huge. That's huge. Why did that happen? Policy. Making a difference. The issues that matter to people. When we deliver, when we focus on those things, guess what? It works. And you can win. That's all part of the roadmap. Again, starts locally, expands to the state level. Then you work on exporting it. But of course, another huge part of it is to play the game the way the game is played. This is something I talked about as recently as Friday, and I'm going to pick up there next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin. Tired of overpaying woke wireless companies? How about this? Get talk, text, and blazing fast data, just 30 bucks a month. Yes, on the same network, the same towers, with the same coverage as the other guys, but for half the price. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Hallelujah. Friends, this is great news. You can start saving today without having to sacrifice on coverage. How do I know? I'm a customer. Plus, listen to all the other benefits you get. A U.S.-based customer service team to make your switch even easier. You're supporting a veteran-owned business. And here's the best part. When you go to puretalk.com and enter promo code LEVINPODCAST, You'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's right. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, podcast, and you can be switched over in as little as 10 minutes. Switch to a company that shares your values. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVIN, podcast, to save 50% off your first month. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. A traveling Christmas show by drag actors performing sexualized and partially nude dances is admitting children to the audience, prompting protests like in Fort Lauderdale in Miami. Now Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is directing the state's Department of Business and Professional Regulation to investigate if, by admitting kids, venues like the Broward Performing Arts Center should lose their liquor licenses. Yeah, and that's the other part of the DeSantis model. Actually, enforce policy once you pass it. So, yeah, so the case of Florida, we do now have a law to where if you have dudes who look like ladies and then during the course of a show end up dropping trowel and then just look like dudes, yeah, it's not good to have children there. And so that's now against the law. But what good is policy if it's not enforced? So, yes, this is now a thing. We've all heard about the drag show issues that have uh, come up across the country. They, and, and here's the thing, and, and, and this does get me about the incrementalism. By the way, Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. I, I'm at great risk of mentioning this, but it was a point in my life, so I might as well here. I've actually uh, been part of a drag situation before. <clears throat> it happened. I came up on the music side because I found out as a teenager, you know what? Not a lot of news talk stations looking to have a kid that would be part of their action. So anyway, I, I paid my dues in radio on the music side. And at the time that I was coming up in radio in Savannah, I remember the 90s, the whole Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil thing was a big deal. Anyway, uh, Savannah's legendary drag queen at that time, the, the Lady Chablis, ended up um, having me as part of a promotional stunt for my first radio station whereby I was a participant in the drag performance. I was an experience, to be sure. And by the way, I mean, I, I was kind of cute, if I 
say so myself, which, by the way, Chablis did as well. But anyway, uh, here's my point. There was nothing, nothing that came close to sexually explicit material. And again, this is a renowned drag club in Savannah, all part of the Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Nothing that arose to that level. Never was there a time when, when people got close to getting naked. Th- this is also part of what happens. Even these drag shows that go around. now, what ha- People just get naked. Oh, we got kids here. Let's get naked. When did that start to be part of the quote-unquote entertainment? It's all part of you know the watering down of society, morality, how entertainment has consistently taken things too far over the course of time. But anyway, yeah, so yes, De- DeSantis has enforced policy there. But a huge part of the model... A huge part of the model, if we're talking about the DeSantis model, if we're talking about the Florida model and how to have success like that clear across this country, is to play the game the way the game is played. Republicans dominated early voting in Florida this cycle. Outvoting Democrats who had long held the advantage in this state in early voting by two to one. Two to one. We got our butts kicked clear across the country in early voting, but not in Florida. Two-to-one advantage for Republicans. There are many reasons why a historic Republican win happened in Florida, including some lower turnout by Democrats. But beyond the issues, behind DeSantis's personal popularity, it was the ground game. Republicans turned out to vote early in Florida like they did in no other state. And that was the difference between winning elections and winning a historic victory in this state. Similar efforts by Republicans in other states would potentially, likely, make the difference between outright losses and wins. Republicans need to stop complaining about the way elections are conducted across the country, need to start playing the voting game the way that it's set to be played. Pick up there and I'll take some of your calls next, 877-381-3811. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. Tired of overpaying woke wireless companies? How about this? Get talk, text, and blazing fast data, just 30 bucks a month. Yes, on the same network, the same towers, with the same coverage as the other guys, but for half the price. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Hallelujah. Friends, this is great news. You can start saving today without having to sacrifice on coverage. How do I know? I'm a customer. Plus, listen to all the other benefits you get. A U.S.-based customer service team to make your switch even easier. You're supporting a veteran-owned business. And here's the best part. When you go to puretalk.com and enter promo code LEVINPODCAST, you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's right. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, podcast and you can be switched over in as little as 10 minutes switch to a company that shares your values go to puretalk.com enter promo code levin podcast to save 50 percent off your first month pure talk is simply smarter wireless well they're not going to do anything with it todd they're going to continue to go ahead and try and say that our borders are secure like secretary mayorkas said there are no open borders and yet you see record numbers every single month that is Congressman-elect Corey Mills. Yeah, there's no crisis at the border. In fact, the border's not even important, as Biden recently told us, not important to going there. And, and so just, uh, you know, don't believe your lying eyes or even the statistics as they roll in from the federal government. Nothing to see here, folks. And so the game, 
the way the game is played. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. Up to this point, the show talked a lot about incrementalism and how it is that now we've arrived at the point where the Supreme Court ruling on Title 42 yesterday to keep Title 42 in place, that's now a win on the right. Something that simply maintains the status quo crisis. That is now what we consider a win. That's how far down the road we've gone. But then taking a look at a lot of the successes that we have had. A lot of them happened at the most important level in terms of really turning the tide. Not just winning elections, but actually meaningfully moving the needle. Now, I think about this a lot in part because it's my generation the Reagan generation. There's so many great things about President Reagan, but one of the big ones is he created a movement that was sustainable. He created a whole generation of more conservative voters. This was actually something that I talked about on this show not long after Election Day, whereby we actually saw that millennials over the past couple of election cycles have voted more conservatively at their age than Gen Xers did at the same age. Gen Xers, the Reagan generation, voted more conservatively than boomers did when they were at the same age as Xers. But ultimately, what we've seen is that those under the age of 30, largely Gen Z, they ended up voting about twice as liberally as millennials at the same age. You really see the compounding effects of having lost the classroom over the course of time. And so we ended up seeing a hundred school districts, hundred school boards across the country that flipped over this past cycle, starting with Virginia and the success that happened last year. Where we put in effort, we saw that 70% of the time that you actually had a concerted effort by conservatives to try to flip school boards, they did. And then I've talked about the DeSantis model. As he is laying out and getting ready to talk about in an upcoming book, his roadmap for the country. You know, the people that have said, make America Florida. What went right in the state of Florida that didn't translate in other states? And there's one thing that stood out above everything else, and that was the ground game. Really moving the needle in early voting. Where in Florida, Republicans ended up outvoting Democrats by about a two to one margin, where Republicans clear across the country were otherwise swamped and how we need to get engaged. So we'll continue with those themes and I'll continue with some of the blueprints here. But first, let's get into some of your calls. Let's go to Martin, who is in Florida. Martin, welcome to the show. Hey, Brian. Hey, man, I talked to you about four years ago. I had just switched my careers, and I had two jobs that I was working. I was working at a golf course and a second course. And at the time, we discussed what it was that we needed to feel happy about in our lives. And I told you that I had two kids who were both successful. I had two jobs. I had a future looking forward, and I still feel the same way. And we've just got to maintain our course. And go ahead, now that we've got some momentum governmentally with the Congress, 
We need to go ahead and maintain our course and keep moving forward and not let anything deter us and keep our spirits up and our chins up. You heard me? Amen. High five, Martin. May God bless you and your family. I love hearing it. And that is one thing, even for those that are continuing to lament, to Martin's point, what happened, uh, you know, and during the midterm cycle and what didn't happen uh, in terms of things living up to expectations. One truism is that the country is going to be better off in a few weeks than it is today. When we have the new Congress sworn in and Republicans have control of the House, this country will be better off. There will be checks and balances in Congress once again that haven't existed for two years. And and so there is that momentum. We have some of this local momentum I'm talking about, the school board level. And to Martin's point about staying with that, you have local elections coming up as we enter 2023. Make an impact there. In some cases, that might even mean you becoming a candidate or helping in the recruitment process. Getting people out to vote because the turnout in local only elections, as you're likely aware, is typically pitiful. There are a lot of places where if you even get 20 percent of voters to turn out in a local only election, you've accomplished something. The upshot of that is a little effort goes an awful long way. Even when you you think about it, well, there just aren't a lot of people that, that seem to be engaged. Sometimes I'll hear people that are discouraged about local elections where turnout is so low. The upshot of that is, if you make an effort, if we make an effort in them, well, it can have a outsized influence in those elections as well. It's all part of why, for example, as I'm talking about like school board races, 70%, according to the 1776 PAC, 70% of the school board races where conservatives attempted to make a difference to flip seats, they they were successful. That's a really big deal, and it is something to feel good about. Let's go to Rick in Missouri. Rick, welcome to the show. Hey, Brian. Uh, I actually moved out of Florida about six months ago back to Missouri. I was just north of you there in Martin County. And uh, really happy to hear you national now. And I hope you get more opportunity uh, to do that. Because the way you address the issues and the facts that you always... uh, said when you did your morning uh morning reports were just fantastic you know allows us to that when we're trying to repeat it back to other people we can use your facts that you provided us to have that as part of our uh, repertoire as our weapons too well may god bless you i appreciate that one and and thank you very much as i'm inclined to say there are two sides of stories one side uh, or you know, two sides of stories one side of facts and and as we take a look at you know he our country right now as you take a look at missouri having moved from florida uh a how's that working out for you i'm sure with the weather right now not awesome but uh but otherwise what's that looking like well like you said the weather is not the greatest it's warming up now uh we're through that but you know it's i had the opportunity to move back home i'm from the midwest and i i uh, did it and i'm in a nice area i'm not in uh, one of the big cities uh smaller rural country area really good people and uh, uh, you're right, DeSantis model, I remember him being at a, a press conference with a bunch of kids, and he just walked up on them and uh, saying, hey, you know, you all don't have to keep them mask on if you don't want to. I think right. a couple of kids decided to keep them, but said, hey, you know, you don't have to do this. You know, and just the way he empowers people and when the media tries to lie about things, how he challenges them, 
you know, and uh, where in the parental rights bill is even the word gay? It's just uh, keeping that model and having the backbone to stand up to this media. That's what this country needs. Yeah, Rick, I mean, it's it's an awfully good point and uh, appreciate the call. And, and uh, you know, there are uh, lots of uh, lots of positives to God's country and also from the land uh, near where Rush hailed from. You take a look at, you know, that part of of the DeSantis model. And by the way, it was a, a big part of uh, you know Trump's model, certainly as well. Let's certainly not forget that the standing up to the media, the doing the right thing regardless but yeah, in the case of what you're talking about, like with the kids and the mask, I mean, he was called a bully and everything else. And the point is, no matter how much the guy was demonized and they tried to destroy, destroy him as much as anybody in the country, arguably more so because you had many in media that saw him as a comer and a potential threat going forward on the national scene. It didn't matter. You had a record win by him and Republicans generally in part because of his willingness to simply do the right thing. And it won those independents and won the suburban women and, and won, you know, the, the even many Democrats, things that people say can't be done. If you do the right thing, it's funny what happens. Let's go to Jeremy in Indiana. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. I just had a question. You know, you've, I've heard you say and a lot of other people say we've, we won or lost the election because of early voting. And I, I just have never understood that. It, whether you vote early or you go on election day, one vote is still a vote. It is, so you, to your point, and uh, I appreciate the call, Jeremy. And he, I uh, actually touched on this on on uh, Mark's show on, on Friday. And, and uh, every now and then when I have the opportunity, I'll do it. And it's good to reach as many people with this message as possible. So I'm glad that you're introducing it again. There are a lot of people that have spoken to this, but actually the best analysis that I've seen, if you're interested in getting into it, aside from my own, you can always look up, uh, you know, Brian Mudd and, and early voting information, see some of the stories I've done on it. But uh, I credit Dick Morris, uh, who did a, a real good analysis on this prior to the election. He did it for Newsmax. And as, as part of that analysis, this goes back, obviously, to his days working directly with Bill Clinton and more recently as an advisor to to Trump during his presidency as well. The impact of voting early where it's available to you to to do so. The first thing is, if you vote early where it is availed, you voted and it's accounted for. There are a percentage of people come Election Day where life happens. You get stuck at work. You have a flat tire. There's an emergency with one of your kids. You name it. Life happens. We all know that there are days that come up where it just doesn't work out. And incidentally, in my situation, I used to, in, in the early cycles where I was voting, I, vote, I was an election day only voter. There's one that changed that. An election day where, right here in Florida, I almost didn't make it to the polls. I got stuck at the station. And I was within five minutes of not making it to the polls. And they, well, that's just silly, I suppose, if I had an opportunity to make sure that I could vote ahead of time. So one thing you're, you're just accounted for and life doesn't happen. But here's another big one that is often way off of the, the radar and really only political operatives would would know it or be aware of it. So you have your state political party, 
if, for example, you're a Republican, this is certainly true of the Democrats. They're looking at who's voted already, where information is available. And once somebody has voted, they get crossed off the list. For example, if you happen to be in a location where you'll often get text messages from political parties saying, hey, go vote. Here's where where you can early vote or whatever. You know, the options are for you to go vote ahead of Election Day. Or you probably get caught with the incessant emails on the kind of stuff, too. You might notice that type of thing tends to stop once you voted. Now, you have X number of political operatives and parties working any given community. Maybe you are the most reliable Election Day only voter there is. And you really are. Life is not going to get in your way and you're going to vote. They don't know that. The party operatives don't know that. So they don't know to cross you off of their list. And now there can be resources expended. Some of it is digitally. Some of it could literally be the door knockers, the people coming to neighborhoods, trying to make sure that you're getting out to vote. When people early vote, you have those that are part of the ground game within the political parties that are able to focus on those who haven't voted yet. So for those who may be less reliable voters than you, it helps them get them out. This is where voting early has the most outsized influence, and it's where Democrats have been exceedingly successful for a very long time, turning out voters that are not necessarily reliable. When Republicans wait and vote on Election Day itself, in many cases, you have less impact of those that are out there that could be activating less reliable voters. And as Dick Morris has outlined in his analysis, in any given election, the difference, 1% to 5%, those who would vote, the life happens, compounded with those that are able to be turned out that would be less reliable by the political parties. So you think about how many elections are decided between 1% to 5%. That ultimately is the impact of early voting and taking advantage of it where available. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one. Mudd in. Tired of overpaying woke wireless companies? How about this? Get talk, text, and blazing fast data, just 30 bucks a month. Yes, on the same network, the same towers, with the same coverage as the other guys, but for half the price. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Hallelujah. Friends, this is great news. You can start saving today without having to sacrifice on coverage. How do I know? I'm a customer. Plus, listen to all the other benefits you get. A U.S.-based customer service team to make your switch even easier. You're supporting a veteran-owned business. And here's the best part. When you go to puretalk.com and enter promo code LEVINPODCAST, You'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's right. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, podcast, and you can be switched over in as little as 10 minutes. Switch to a company that shares your values. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVIN, podcast, to save 50% off your first month. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. got to establish security you've got to establish operational control and you hear some uh, some people talking about well we're going to do some type of comprehensive legislation before the end of the year no you're not no you're not and stop stop lying to people 
It's uh, Congressman Michael Burgess. And yes, just stop lying to people. Like, for example, the border's not open and it's not even a priority. Well, I do agree that it's not a priority for the president of the United States. That much he has made clear. But starting with Mayorkas and his extreme incompetency and the president himself, what you take a look at is ultimately dereliction of duty that by the letter of the Constitution would be an impeachable offense. You do have Republicans coming in to control the House. And while we will watch, wait, and see what will become of the speakership, Kevin McCarthy, the leading horse, obviously, was brought back as the Republican leader, but that does not guarantee the speakership in a full vote before the House of Representatives We've had a lot of promises about investigations. We've had commentary about the potential impeachment of a Mayorkas, for example, which absolutely should happen. We'll see how serious many of them are this time around. We need people that are willing to to put up. The talk has been cheap, but there will be at a minimum checks and balances. Brian Mudd in for Mark Levin. Been talking about the the blueprint the path forward most recently had a question about early voting that came up i've talked about playing the game the way that it's played but there's so many different ways that you could take a look at why things worked out so well in florida and maybe didn't work out as well as many had hoped across the country on the right but the one thing above everything else too many people simply take a look at desantis and go hey it was that guy The one thing above everything else is that in Florida, you had a lot of people that were serious on the right about playing the game the way the game is played. Record early voting by Republicans in a midterm cycle, outvoting Democrats two to one, taking advantage of opportunities. That is all part of showing up and making a difference. That's something we need to do everywhere. We'll continue this conversation next. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in America with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, much, much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. My wife Julie and I decided it was time to add more flowering trees to our landscape, and Fast Growing Tree was a great resource for us. A large selection and no hassle ordering or shipping. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on selected plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEVIN at checkout. L-E-V-I-N. Now that's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using code LEVIN at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code L-E-V-I-N. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Please visit FastGrowingTrees.com for details. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
We have experienced looting in the city of Buffalo that we are taking extremely seriously. The Buffalo Police Department has established an anti-looting detail. Yeah, that uh, Buffalo's mayor... So many tragic stories. You hear about the people who have frozen to death in their cars and you know, so many tragic situations from the lake effect snow and you know, the extreme conditions. The looting, though, it just it seems to be a condition of certain elements in society and in specific places. I can't help but to think about after Hurricane Ian in southwest Florida, yet all that devastation and you might have seen in the news signs that say that that said, if you loot, we shoot. You didn't have law enforcement going around telling people that was a problem, by the way. And incidentally, might have noticed that there weren't significant looting issues, despite a lot of people that attempted to come down. Incredible work by law enforcement in southwest Florida after Ian. But then you get something like this in Buffalo and looting. You have people that are freezing to death in their cars. But you also have the looters that are out there. It just really is unfortunate in so many different ways. But I do think that is a perversion of a society that allows it, starting with New York State and officials at the local level that might err on the side of people that loot as opposed to those who are willing to protect their property, as the case may be. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. I'm the host of the Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach. Also, The Brian Mudd Show. Check out my podcast, The Brian Mudd Show, wherever you get your podcasts. You may also follow me at Brian Mudd Radio on social. We're talking a lot tonight about incrementalism. How, from a point of public policy, Republicans have not done an effective job Conservatives have not done an effective job, by and large, at playing the long game, at beginning to move the needle. But we did see a good deal of movement in select situations where people actually tried. A hundred different school boards that ended up flipping across the country this cycle. Information showing 70% of the time that conservatives made an effort to flip school boards, they were successful. Just think about that. Most of the time, there was an effort put forward. It was rewarded. Simply showing up, simply getting engaged, simply making a difference at the grassroots level. That's ultimately the most important thing, because where our society has ultimately been corrupted, insert issue here. You can trace back to education in our society, indoctrination, going back to especially the incarnation of the Department of Education in 1980. And so in order to win the long game, we have to take back control of the classrooms from the teachers unions and bring common sense back into the mix. But then we also have various things that we have to be smarter about. And as I've talked about playing the game the way that it's played, a lot of people take a look at Florida and think, oh, it was just Ron DeSantis. And he was so incredibly popular that Florida was this outlier where you, you had a lot of disappointment across the country. There's some truth to that. However, it went a lot deeper and it really got down to Republicans simply playing a smarter game in the state of Florida. Overwhelming Democrats with the ground game, starting with early voting, which allowed better turnout and allowed 
the opportunity for what was likely a win for many Republicans in the state of Florida to turn into a historic victory. And how, if we are simply more strategic, if we're simply smarter, even in the process of voting, taking advantage of early voting where it exists or vote by mail ballots, as the case may be, rather than simply waiting to Election Day in every instance to vote, that can make as much of a difference as 5%, as little as 1%, as much as 5 And you think about how many elections would be different clear across the country with up to 5% going the other way. There's a lot that goes into this. And so as we look forward towards the new year, I was thinking about this. It's a couple of years ago, this week, this time, I've even been on this date in particular, one of the conversations that we we're having on this show as I was guesting for Mark. And the 2020 election cycle had just happened. And everything that was still to be was yet to happen. And a lot of people wanted to talk about things that were not going to be constructive. And as we saw, ultimately were not constructive. But what I put the focus on, what needed to change, and specifically the top area of focus, election integrity. I pointed out that Harvard's Electoral Integrity Project showed that the United States of America had the lowest electoral integrity in the developed world. I remember that NIU was like the the closest country to us in terms of election integrity. We actually had countries that aren't even engaged in democratic-style elections, basically dictatorships in parts of the world that have more integrity in the election process than the United States of America. We had so much watering down of electoral integrity, integrity in so many different states. It was pitiful. So the first thing that we needed to do was take control of that. Make sure that all the nonsense, the workarounds that happened in 2020 in the name of COVID, getting around what state legislatures had set as policy in state in states, making sure that can never happen again. And while it didn't happen everywhere that it needed to occur, it did in nearly 20 states. And that was a real positive. That was taking something that needed to happen, putting it to action and seeing meaningful changes and results. Happen in states like Florida, happen in states like Georgia. What do we need to do now? We need to engage more at the grassroots level. And as I, I think about some of the information in front of us right now, I think about the mood of the country and where we're going and have this one for you. I just think it's an interesting anecdote. Did you know that in the wake of, for example, Kirsten Cinema having turned independent in the name of political expediency in the United States Senate. Did you know that as, as many Americans view Vladimir Putin very favorably as do Cinema? And on one hand, it might seem like one of the most random and odd thoughts that I've, I've put before you. And it might be among the oddest, though there's some pretty strong competition. It's not something that's random. If you've ever taken a look at some of what's wrong with society around us, you're just talking about the looting in Buffalo, you ever wondered what the heck is wrong with them? Might have the answer. Now, this really isn't about Putin or cinema. It really is about the favorability rating 
of some other politicians nationally. But before getting to them, I I felt compared to share what I viewed as the most eye-opening favorability information surveyed by Harvard Harris recently. They surveyed the favorability rating of 20 national and in some cases like Putin international figures. And the survey said, we got about 6% of Americans to take a look at Vladimir Putin and go, yes, that guy. Yeah. That's only 6%, but then again, it is 6%. It's still more stunning to me that you have over 40% of the country that takes a look at the current occupant of the White House and goes, you know what I need in my life is some of that guy's sweet political action. In fact, what I haven't had is enough of Joe Biden's sweet political action. Oh, yeah, give me more of that. I mean, that really is a a special situation. But anyway, you had Harvard Harris find that 6% of Americans hold a very favorable, not just favorable, but very favorable opinion of Vladimir Putin, which, by the way, tied Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema. That happened to be the lowest, very favorable rating of all those two. So in all, a total of 12% of Americans look at Putin as he continues to bomb innocent Ukrainians at will, and least favorably. The one thing that came to mind when I was taking a look at this, I bet it's those legacy six-pack ab shirtless pics. You know, you know all the ones where, where Putin over the years out there just ripped and loving life? I bet it's that. People are just going, man, that guy's had some awesome abs. Anyway. I do think that when you are looking to explain some of the potentially and seemingly unexplainable things in our society, they have 12 percent of Americans actually hold in a a positive approval of of Vladimir Putin. That that takes you some of that distance. And this related nugget, 15 percent of adults have either never heard of Vladimir Putin or don't have an opinion. So for all of society's ills that aren't explained by the 12 percent, probably answered with the the subsequent 15. So, yeah, I mean, we when you take a look at just over a quarter of the country that either thinks a man who bombs women and children in Europe, for effect, is a pretty great guy, or ah, I just don't even have an opinion of that. I hard to tell the whole bombing women and children thing. Then you have this, which thinks, thankfully speaks to the other end of the American collective. This gets into the growing national conversation. Yes, Ron DeSantis has the highest net favorability rating in the country. And Donald Trump still up there pretty well, too. Now, there's not a lot of love going around generally or goodwill being felt by most Americans with the current crop of leaders. But there was the one who ended up standing out above the rest. Of the aforementioned 20 political figures that were sampled, only three. Vermont Senator The Burn. Yes, you have net positive approval nationally of the burn, which, again, about things that make you go, hmm. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, net positive approval. And yes, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And the aforementioned Putin is thankfully the most disliked of the bunch with a net negative 61% favorability rating, showing that sanity does at least still exist with most of us. The political mood of the country is obviously a sour one with significant disdain for Mitch McConnell, appropriately, 
Nancy Pelosi, Hillary Clinton, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Kamala Harris, and yes, Joe Manchin, who all sport net negative favorability ratings reaching the double digits. And as for our current and former president, well, as mentioned, Trump, he held up pretty well. In that survey result from Harvard-Harris, favorability percentage above 40%, where basically it was at the higher points of his presidency. Those overall favorability still remains underwater. But still, he's holding up better than the current occupant in the White House with a net negative rating of 7%. That takes us to DeSantis. About a quarter of the country, still not really sure who the guy is or what he's about. But for the three quarters of the country that is aware, he holds a net positive approval rating around 8% right now. That was greater than double any other politician. So yes, you can rest assured that as this continues to enter the American collective, it's only going to add to the 2024 conversation already being had. I'll pick up there. Next, I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin'. Ukraine says just in the past 24 hours, Russia has launched 33 rockets, all at civilian targets. One of those targets was the maternity ward of a hospital in Kherson. Meanwhile, Russia is rejecting President Zelensky's 10-point peace plan, saying it denies the reality that four regions in Ukraine are now a part of... Yeah, and among the things that you can kind of quantify... That help explain the things that don't seem to make sense in our society. You've got a double-digit percentage of Americans that take a look at Putin. Take a look at that guy who's been busy doing things like that and say, you know what? I think I like that guy. In fact, I approve of him. Thankfully, nowhere near as many as that approve of Biden. But then again, you take a look at over 40% of Americans who go, yes, give me some more of this guy's policy. Whew. That said, in the grand scheme of things, where President Biden stands entering next year, and then the 2024 cycle as it begins, as we will hear what Biden's intentions are, along with any number of other potential candidates, a la a DeSantis, for example, there's a heck of a lot of opportunity going forward. It's something I'm going to talk about in just a bit. But about... A lot of the conversation on 2024 and what's next. I have gone on the record as saying I have serious concerns about a Trump versus DeSantis battle royale. The onset of the show today mentioned that I over lunch had a chance encounter today with President Trump over at uh, Trump National in, in West Palm. And he was in a great mood, a great mood. And again, I have no idea what's going to be in those tax returns that House Democrats are going to release on Friday or any number of other outcomes with the DOJ, what have you. But I do know that Donald Trump was in a great mood today. And it makes me think about how often he has been discounted. You know, he's one of the first people that will point out to you that in the very first polling in the Republican primary process, Back in 2015, after his announcement 
for president. He was at 1%. Not 1% nationally, 1% in a Republican primary poll. The guy has done a lot of stuff for a very long time that people said he wouldn't do, said he couldn't do. And to discount him at this point, I think, is a mistake. At this lunch today, the gentleman I was dining with, he asked me the question, if we do get into a Trump-DeSantis situation, who wins? And I said, no one. No one. I still feel, by and large, that's probably the case. That in the grand scheme of things, having the two top Republicans go at each other doesn't lead to a good outcome, regardless of what that outcome looks like. That is, unless all voters consolidated in one direction, which is highly unlikely. And so part of the conversation as we advance towards 2024 is keeping things in perspective, realizing it's about policy, that it's about making a difference and moving the needle. In that context, lest anybody forget one of the most effective policy presidents we've ever had, Donald Trump. Continue the conversation. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. 2,700 flights roughly have been canceled nationwide, and that's the domestic flights. Of those, 90%, 2,500 of them are Southwest. Industry analysts analysts say some of this big meltdown is just bad luck. The storm hit where Southwest flies. Some of it is because they have this point-to-point model instead of operating in hubs like the other major airlines do. That is uh, Fox's Mike Tobin. Hey, the good news is you got Mayor Pete on it. Yeah, you got the booty judge that is all over this deal. So everything will be great. I mean, so confident the transportation head. So, uh, yeah, there's there's that. You do have my my sympathies if you are in uh, that situation. I know so many have been. And uh, actually, on, on that note, you know, about the winter weather and everything else, it's often a barometer in South Florida as to if it really got cold here, did iguanas start falling from trees? And there were sporadic iguana fallings. Sadly, like in the case of my home, did not happen there, did not get quite cold enough to make the iguanas fall from trees, or at least stay fallen, as we have had quite the iguana invasion in recent years. But yes, you did have some isolated falling iguanas as a part of the bout of winter weather that made its way into the South Florida, where we bottomed out eh, right around 40 or so in, in some parts. Southwest Florida, a little, little colder. But anyway, <laughs> Brian Mudd in for the, uh, the great one, Mark Levin. And as we're taking a look at being constructive and a roadmap going forward, you have Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis that's actually releasing a book that will be on shells, February the 28th, it's called The Courage to Be Free, Florida's Blueprint for America's Revival. And basically, what you can interpret that to be is the Make America Florida thing. Like, if you have bought into the idea that, hey, you know, we should make America Florida, well, the DeSantis book is going to be for you. One thing to keep in mind, though it looks increasingly likely that it will be a precursor to perhaps him announcing a presidential run. It's not a given that he will. One thing to keep in mind, the DeSantis family, they're not wealthy people generally. So simply him having you know a multi-million dollar book deal, no doubt a bestseller, 
along with continuing to enhance his brand. I mean, that's all a positive for him and his family. So it's not a fait complete that he enters. Secondarily, one of the things that we need to be focused on is uniting around making a difference. And that doesn't happen by a bunch of internal fighting over DeSantis and Trump conversation necessarily either. The whole thing just needs to play itself out and very well may end up resolving itself by, you know, DeSantis, for example, maybe not wanting to run or or who knows another circumstance. So in, instead of getting into all that, yes, we, we can take the DeSantis blueprint as he w- will release it for his book. There's going to be a lot of wisdom in there, I have no doubt, having witnessed, watched and participated in a lot of what's happened here over the past four years. What we need to be doing is moving the needle everywhere and being focused on those local elections starting in 2023 candidate recruitment and engaging at the grassroots level all a big important part of the process let's go to the phones james in los angeles james welcome to the show uh yes good evening um uh you can't say this but i will Uh, i think your fears about trump and desantis are are real and I think everybody knows why, because Sanders will win. Trump's going to lose. And like he does every single other time, he's going to claim it was rigged and he's going to take the, the Trump cultist with him. And it's going to be a disaster for Republicans. I mean, everybody could see that. That's easy to predict. But it's not why I called. I called because I want to understand what exactly you mean when you say conservatism, because there seems to be conflicting definitions. There's traditional conservatism, which it involves a strong national defense, limited government, low taxes. And I think there are a lot of people of color who could who, who could realistically support Republicans who ran on those kinds of policies. But there's also the white nationalist craziness, uh, the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the, the, that wing of the Republican Party that seems to be growing in power, that seems to be growing in influence. And people of color aren't stupid. They see that, and that's why, after every election, over and over and over again, you see Republicans just can't make any ground with people of color because they won't address that because they know it's going to cost them the South if they ever really make a change and repudiate white nationalism and racism. James, I appreciate the thoughtfulness of your statements and your call, and... Look, the first thing is perception is reality. And whether what you articulated is necessarily entirely accurate or not, I don't know what exactly is in the heart of everybody who claims to be a conservative, for example, in in Congress or whatever potential political office. But I do know that there is nothing about white nationalism that is conservative. I do know that there is nothing about the Republican Party at its core, the party that literally fought a war to ensure that there was equality. I I know that there's nothing consistent with those values at its core, not to say that there can't be people that are of ill intent within ranks. But that also is true everywhere. You bring up a good point about the definition of conservatism. It really isn't so much about conservatism as a brand i mean even by title it kind of stinks if you think about it hey who necessarily hey i want to i want to be conservative right i mean that might even have in in certain circles negative connotations to it independent of politics you know you uh, you're conservatives 
makes you sound like you might be boring or something or or you know not interested in in you know any number of different things in life that may be entirely different than the reality on the ground what it means ultimately is is policy and this is important so throughout the show for example in in talking about some of the actions that have taken place with policy i mentioned desantis's situation since it seems like you might be a fan of his he was called everything in the book including being a racist the homophobe you know don't say gay the the whole slander thing over that everything that you could throw at the guy was thrown at the guy and i think by you know political persuasion those on the right and the left would say the guy is a conservative i think he very well meets the definition of that would be ascribed but more important than that is policy conservatism is parental rights and education in other words the crowd like the terry mccall's in virginia who said look parents should not have a say what happens in the classroom teachers know better well parental rights and education to where no hold on these are still our kids and we damn well should have a say as to what happens in the classroom it shouldn't just be the teachers unions that run the show there that's conservative parental rights to where the state these godforsaken government-run schools they don't own your kids to where you still do that's what conservatism is in that context take up the idea of the whole don't say gay deal or you know the the whole battle with with disney over that thing which was ultimately this parental rights and education piece that i'm talking about it, the title didn't stick when the policy was understood by voters you had desantis beat the national news media the state news media in many cases local news media you had them beat corporations woke corporations like disney in fact desantis won so big that it ended up being a big part of the catalyst for Disney's CEO being blown out and Bob Iger being brought back in, who's made clear since he came back that he wants no part of fighting with Florida or other states over politics. Actually said they need to get back to serving and creating content that serves the, the interests of, of kids. Imagine that rather than woke agendas. You know, that's that's conservatism in action. It's policy. And I always think it's better defined that way. The lead by example type of situation, articulate policy, but then follow through on it. It is conservative. Yes. As you pointed out, for you to retain more of your resources than the government. And I will agree with you that there has been a huge branding problem. And a lot of it comes from leadership. Look, when Mitch McConnell is the leader of Republicans in the Senate, what about him articulates a, a concise, clear, conservative message? Nothing. Hey, he's good on judges. He's pretty much terrible on everything else. And he wanted to run an election cycle in which, you know, Democrats bad, re- Republicans maybe less bad, rather than offering up a real choice election. Here's what we stand for. Here's what, you do, what, what we'll do if you elect us. A la a contract with America with a, a new king rich. That's, you know, the last time you really had a, a good job being done on a national level, trying to define conservatism, yet efforts around the Tea Party movement. 
just over a decade ago. The best that has ever been done was the contract with America, where literally, okay, here's, here are all the, the principles and the things that we stand for and what we will do if you elect us. I agree. Republicans, period, need to do a better job articulating who they are, what they stand for, and what they will do if they're elected. Where that happens, we have seen success, especially where it's fall through on policy with somebody like DeSantis. So uh, appreciate the call and the point. Let's go to Mark in Las Vegas. Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, great show. Thanks for taking my call. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Uh, go ahead. Talking about, uh, uh, you were talking about uh, clear uh, being clear. Uh, what about the latest? Uh, I wondered if you have any thoughts about the latest uh, think about the congressman from New York who can't quite get his story straight, Santos. Yeah, the the uh, gentleman who has lied about his pretty much his entire background up to this point and how there's now a New York investigation that will be taking place over his his history and, and the impact in the election. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you have a gentleman now who has lied about his resume. He lied about education that he did not obtain among other things uh it is obviously wrong it's hypocritical and it's far from anything new right i mean one of the quintessential examples that exists happens to be none other than uh, pocahontas you you have elizabeth warren who quite literally long before she even entered the political realm benefited by way of obtaining educational opportunities that uh, it appears she probably would not have had she not said that she was native american and so you know, the precedent has been set. It'll be interesting to see how this ultimately is handled and how it's treated. Two wrongs never make a right. I certainly don't support this individual. And, you know, he is, and along with the voters and I don't know, perhaps New York officials now will have to account for this situation. But I will say this for anybody on the left who wants to begin throwing the arrows and they are being shot you have a lot of explaining to do. There are a number of characters we could point to, but start with demanding that Elizabeth Warren resign. And the moment that you do that, then you might have credibility on that particular issue. And on the other side, talk about some optimism, something we can feel good about as we head towards the new year, the opportunity that is in front of us. That's next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin. The latest numbers on pending home sales of previously owned homes show they sagged far more than expected, dropping for a sixth consecutive month down 4% in November to their lowest level since April of 2020. Year over year, pending home sales dropped 37.8%. Yeah, but importantly, still no Trump tweets, right? I mean, all this really has just been so much better, right? Not having those Trump tweets. Yes. And the minds of so many, that's the worst part is there's still a number of people that go, yeah, you know what? You're right. It is worth it. Anyway, Brian Mudd in for the uh, the great one, Mark Levin. And there's a lot to be optimistic about as we take a look towards next year and this coming cycle. First thing is we are little time away now from having a new Congress where 
we will be better off than we have been over the previous couple of years. And yes, whether it's, you know, the the economies, you hear the pending home sales numbers and economists expectations for a recession as we enter next year. No doubt that we still have a big price to pay for having Biden and Democrats in control doing what they have done over the past couple of years. That said, it looks like you do still have enough people who have their eyes open to make a profound difference. One of the things I keep an eye on, the approval rating by state. See, a lot of times people will take a look at approval ratings, presidents, nationally. It all comes down to states, right? Give you an idea of where eyes are open. And Biden doesn't have a huge approval rating in any state. But the only states where he has a net positive approval rating, there are 13. They happen to be right now California, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Illinois, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Rhode Island, Vermont, and Washington. If you're in one of those states, you've got an awful lot of work to do. That said, those are the only states, again, that take a look at Joe Biden and go, oh, yeah, that guy winning in general. And what that means, let's put this in electoral college context for a moment. And just simply a generic ballot Republican would be positioned to be able to win by a margin of 361 to 177 if today happened to be election day. And so uh, there's lots of opportunity out there. And the question is, what do we do with it? You know, even in this cycle that just happened, the national popular vote, Republicans won it by three points right on the nose. You did have more people that voted that, that voted for Republicans than not. What happens next is up to us. We need to engage at the local level. We need to continue to move the needle with the local elections. Again, as I talked about throughout the show, 70% of the time, the people even tried to flip school boards. They were successful in doing so over the past year. It's profound. If you want to make a difference, start at the local level. Start in these community elections over the next year. That'll make a big difference. And then we let the whole presidential thing play out. The odds are there's going to be enormous opportunity in front of us and an improving political picture nationally as we ride into the new year. Now, I've always fashioned myself as a realist who errs on the side of optimism. In this case, I think there is lots of optimism that is simply evidence. And as I always talk about, there are two sides to stories and one side of facts. Continue to ride with those and do what you can personally to make a difference. A little goes a long way. I have seen it happen over the years. It is always an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. And I hope you have a wonderful new year. Prime Mud in for the great one, Mark Levin. 